This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Here in the Northern Rockies, dark winter months are outlasted in basements, dens, and nooks, where kindred souls gather together to share intel, swap fly patterns, and relive the memories from seasons past. This gathering spot known locally as the February Room is the inspiration for this podcast. No matter the season, the door is always open to those with a fly fishing story to tell. Brought to you by CD Fishing USA, the North American distributor for composite development fly rods and accessories. 40 years of Kiwi ingenuity and graphite technology now available at cd-fishing.us or your local CD USA dealer. Follow us on Instagram, YouTube, and Facebook. And remember to go fishing. Here's your host, the Carnops, and this is the February Room. Oh my gosh, Justin, we're here. 100 episodes of the February Room. I can't believe that we've made it to 100 episodes, two years. Yeah, I can't believe it either. And a shout out and a big thank you to everyone in the fly fishing industry who has been very gracious with their time and um, has agreed to come on our podcast for free and uh, (laughs) and tell their great fishing stories. And um, to all of uh, the listeners and our friends and supporters and everybody that's helped us uh, get to this point. It's been a lot of fun and kudos to you. Lauren, for all your hard work, um, doing a weekly podcast (laughs) is a lot more work than we originally anticipated. Yeah. You know, I think I have a lot of people come up to me like, I want to start a podcast. And I'm always thinking, oh, man, I I thought it was going to be a lot easier. Like, oh, I'll do this on my spare time. But it does take a lot of time. But I appreciate it. And also, like you said, I appreciate all our listeners and the people who have joined on the podcast for free and um, sharing their stories and their adventures and passions um, with uh, conservation. It's been also, I've learned a lot. I learned a lot. I learned about gar. I've learned there's so many now new fish I want to try and catch. And, um, and that's just through the guests that we've had, but we were kind of scratching our head 
who do we talk to on the 100th episode? And what we kind of decided is that we have such a huge background in outdoor television. We thought this would be a great opportunity to share our experiences and behind the scenes of outdoor TV. Right, right. And and I tried to get uh, I tried to get Gary Sinise. Uh, <laughs> he couldn't make it. Um, tried to get uh, tried to get The Rock. Yeah. Yeah. And The Rock was he wanted to come on, but uh, he just didn't feel like he had any good fishing stories. So here we are. <laughs> it's just the two of us. But like we just said, um, Justin's background, you've been an outdoor TV producer for um, how many? You were outdoor TV producer for, what, 15 years? No, not 15. I mean, what we started in 2008 and I left uh, that industry in like 2017. So... 10, 11 years? No, that's not the right <laughs> math at all. Um, 17 minus 8 is 9. And 9. Yeah, but <laughs> not all that was a producer, right? I started out with the audio vest around my neck, mm -hmm. which is an electronic octopus that uh, it's, and it's the lowest job on the totem pole, and you can never do it right. Um, but, uh, but it was fun starting out that way and I got to see a lot of cool country and it was good to kind of learn the business from the bottom up and, and being the audio guy has its advantages cause you can hear what everybody's saying. I have to disagree with you with saying that's the bottom of the pole because I worked a nighttime shift ingesting footage from midnight to five in the morning. Well, that's beneath the pole. That's... <laughs> <laughs> That's in the dirt underground. You were underground at was night. So underground. You were in a cave at night. That was the worst job, and I had to hike down the stairs like five what five stairs cases yeah, to go were to the, the media vampire. I was the media vampire ingesting footage. That's when you had Betacam SPs, your VHS cameras. That's what you had to ingest the footage into. And that was not that long ago. No, folks, this was before everyone could just produce videos on their phone and upload them to TikTok in a matter of minutes. So, yeah. Yeah. As I get older, I like to complain about technology, the weather, and the market, <laughs> the real estate market. And get off my lawn. <laughs> get off my lawn. Yeah. But, you know, let's kind of go switch gears. Let's talk about some of your most memorable memory or your most memorable, <laughs> damn it. Let's talk about your favorite time as an outdoor producer. And because you did uh, Fly Fishing the World. Um, Trout Unlimited. Trout Unlimited. Fly Fisherman. I produced three fishing shows at kind of at the same time for a while, which was super fun. Um, so, yeah, there were lots of, uh, lots of really great times. Uh, you know, there was the impromptu Chilean Marathon. Yes, which is you went on a run and decided... At night. And got lost. Got a little turned around. And ran 26. And ran 20, yeah, somewhere in the 20-mile range with no water, but there was um, ample blackberries. Um, yeah. So I survived on the natural foliage. I bet people and, um, took pictures. I sprained my ankle. Yeah. And so when I made it back to the lodge, I was limping and I was my face was purple from I'm all the blackberries. <laughs> There might be yeah. some Sasquatch sightings that day. There was, yeah, there, <laughs> there were truckloads of Chileans going to work. This is funny. So I left my T-shirt hanging up at the turnoff to the lodge, and I was going to run. I ran out to the main uh, road, and mind you, it's one in the morning, and I'm running it with my headlamp. And I took a left, 
and and this is after you know being on the long flight i needed to, to stretch my legs and um anyway i took a left and my plan was i was just going to run down that road for a few miles turn around come back and that t-shirt would denote the turn off to the lodge well i ran past the t-shirt i didn't see it i i missed it uh, you know the all, all the sights and sounds of the chilean jungle at sunrise uh distracted me Past my T-shirt, I'm running down the highway, starting to think this is going a little, a little askew. Surviving on blackberries, no water, and the Chileans start going to work in the back of, of trucks, and they're all looking at me like I'm an alien. And um, then a truck goes by, and one of the guys had my T-shirt on in the back of the truck. <laughs> and that's when I knew I was screwed. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Producing yeah. at its best. Right, yeah. Made, I was late for, the, late for the crew call by about 30 minutes, so we, we, we made it work. You know, and we were just talking about how difficult it is creating an outdoor television show as opposed to, you know, your fly fishing film tour. That stuff is filmed. The film tours are filmed normally, normally over a long period of time. But when you have an out, when you're watching a show, you have like three days. You have three days to catch a fish or kill something. And whether or not you kill or catch something, it's going to be a show. And I remember I would be, oh, I still remember this. These guys came back from a shoot, and I want to say it was a, oh, I think it was a coyote hunt, and um, they didn't shoot any coyotes, and it was three days of these gentlemen sitting in a blind with that, (laughs) with with the collar, and I had to make a show on three days. And you know what you do is that, on the tees, you just hear, uh-oh, something is coming. And for three teases, you have, uh-oh, <laughs> something is coming at the end. You're like, dun, 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 dun. I think he's here. And actually, that is all scripted. There was nothing there. There was never going to be anything there. And then at the end of the episode, you just are like, we gave it our all. But I just remember like three episodes of that coyote call. The, yeah, that gets old. Anyways, yeah, a show that went wrong, but you move on and you make a show and you try and add music and sound effects to keep keep your audience engaged. Well, the best part of that industry was uh, was working with. Well, we got to work with some really great hosts. You know, uh, Conway Bowman was was fantastic, mm-hmm. really fun to work with and be around. Um, Frank Smethurst, he was hilarious. Um, you know. Hard to corral uh, for <laughs> on, on a TV schedule. You never knew where Frank was going to pull over and fish. Um, but a uh, fun guy to be around. Um, and then, of course, you know, Jed Feeblecorn, who was a local outfitter here. Um, he was uh, a really good angler and um, real fun to be around, easy to work with. And uh, Nicole Darland, who was his co-host on that Fly Fisherman series. Uh, she was a very sweet lady. Um, and remains a, a good friend of ours um, to this day, as do as do all of them, and most of them have come on our podcast. Or and all great, no, I angl- guess only Frank has. We got to we got we got to reach out to some of these people. And all great anglers. 
Yeah, yeah, good good anglers and and uh, and good television personalities and and easy to work with, which is important and understand what we're trying to accomplish. So, um, and then the camera guys were always a blast. Uh, the camera guys we worked with were studs. They were all, um, you know, in really good shape. They were all really knowledgeable outdoors people, um, river rats and and you know hikers and hunters and. Um, and, uh, yeah, they, uh, they were, uh, probably one of the, my favorite aspects of working in that industry was getting to hang out with the camera guys out in their element because they're troopers, man. They're like the Navy SEALs of the outdoors. Yeah. We talk about that. I mean, if you think your host is in good shape, look at, if you could see behind the camera, the camera guys no doubt. are great shape. They're hauling gear. I mean, if you, like you said, uh, we, we talked about the goat hunt. I mean, goat hunting is so intense in high altitudes. And imagine carrying sheep, the, yeah, sheep, like yeah. sheep up in the stands, like yes. Kyrgyzstan and those stands, which I haven't been to myself, but I've produced several shows to those places. And yeah, I mean, they're they're climbing up those mountains with. And back in the day, we used those great big cameras. Yeah. Um, so that was a lot of gear to begin with, and then they would often, you know, come off the mountain carrying either meat, more gear. Or a host that had <laughs> ran out of energy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you have a really funny story. Remember that one time when you were responsible of the camera gear and it did not go where it was supposed to go? No, that wasn't camera gear. That was personal. That was the cameraman's personal bag. And that was Bill. And Bill was the head camera guy and he was one of those guys he was like he had two of everything if you ever needed a zip tie or duct tape or any of that stuff bill had it if you needed extra clothes an extra rain jacket bill had it and yeah we were going to christmas island we were in honolulu we had laid over there for a night it was new year's we'd gone out and partied a little bit with some friends and um, the next day, he left me in charge of his personal bag and said, here, make sure this gets on the plane. I had his bag and my bag. His and first he, mistake. He, yeah, his first <laughs> mistake, yep. And he went to go deal with all the other gear and thought, oh, you know, at least Justin can handle my uh, one bag. And I couldn't handle one bag. And uh, we got to Christmas Island, and his bag did not come off of the airplane. And I have still to this day have no idea what happened to it. I don't know if somebody stole it. I don't know if I put it on the wrong conveyor belt and sent it to Fiji. No idea. But all of his gear was gone, and it was kind of the standing joke on that shoot. Like, hey, we need a zip tie. Who's got gaffer's tape? And Bill would be like, I do, but it's in my bag. And he'd stare at me. <laughs> you know, some of my favorite as an editor is watching plans not come together. And um, as a producer, um, I think you were producing, uh, it was Fly Fishing the World with Conway Bowman. Mm -hmm. And you had plans. He wanted to go to Thailand. And you're like, I don't know anything about Thailand. I remember you were like, I don't think this is a great idea. It's going to oh, go yeah. in the jungle. I purposely didn't want to go on that. I did purposely didn't go on that one. Yeah. yeah. But right. I still, it's still one of the, I was laughing so hard. It was so funny. Because he meets up with his guide, who's a French guy. That French guy was hilarious. Hilarious. So amazing. What was his name? Jacques or something? Jacques. I can't and remember. he is like, Conway, I'm going to show you. It's a terrible accent. <laughs> you like my accent. No, they're awful. He goes, I'm going to 
Take you to the best fishing in Bangkok. Accent. Do it again. This is French. Okay, everybody, this is Lauren's French accent. Do French. Jean-Way, just go. <laughs> Let's say he's with an Irishman. Give, give me an Irish accent. Uh, okay. Um, Conway. <laughs> <laughs> I'm really let's bad. do let's do Australia. Um, Conway, let's go over. <laughs> You're the worst. I am a really. I can only do Midwest. I only got Midwest. Yes. Oh, Conway, don't you know? Let's go over here and go fishing in the in the water. Can I pretend I'm from the Midwest in Thailand? Sure, sure. And yeah, there you go. <laughs> yep, good call. But uh, skipping the accents. What was so hilarious is that he takes him to Bangkok in downtown Bangkok and there is a cement pond filled filled with catfish. It was manicured. Yeah. It was, yeah, it was a, like a, it was at a park it was or at something a park. and there was a water feature. There was yes. a fountain. Oh, and takes him fishing and other people are like, at this park and there's food trucks and all of a sudden he has a fish on and, and he's screaming Conway Conway's like I don't know what he's we're licking doing. an ice cream yeah. cone and he's, at and he's, the food truck <laughs> dining Conway he's like you got it and, and Conway's just like oh my gosh but then you know later on they did go to the jungle and I think Conway was a little bit nervous because it was like there were snakes and he's like are there snakes here and he's like yes oh yeah just I mean, fair to Lance oh my gosh anyways that was one of my my, Death Adders. One of my something. favorite episodes. Um, and I don't think they even caught anything. Um, yeah, out they there. did. They caught a. Oh, on the. No, they in did. In the jungle. They caught. They did. They caught. caught like I two. remember seeing. Yeah. It was really hard fishing. That happened a lot, though, because like you mentioned, we only had between three and five days to shoot a TV show, and it was just throwing a dart at a calendar. Like you had to plan it all out a year in advance. Mm -hmm. We got rained out half the time. Yeah. I mean, that's or weathered out, or, you know, conditions weren't right, or whatever, and then, yeah, you had to make a TV show out of, like, so a lot of it, that show just kind of became um, kind of like a, a poor man's, um, uh, what's Anthony Bourdain? Yeah. Like, you know, we started just building those elements into it, because it yeah. couldn't be a hardcore fishing show, even though the network wanted it to be, like, this hardcore fishing show, like, it's not possible. Well, what's so interesting, because Fly Fish in the World originally started with our, our original employer, um, who would go fishing with celebrities. Right. Fly Fish in the World was based on people going fishing with Getting celebrities. Getting to know a celebrity, yeah. Which, uh, let me just plug this in, Liam Neeson went fishing with, uh, you know, our prior boss, and he went fishing with one of your flies. He did. I remember? And he was... He talked about it on the show. I wish I had that clip. And Liam Neeson goes, that space invader, huh, that's something. The other and clip I wish I would have kept was the time that the host of, and I won't name the name of the organization, and he threw a, they had a red stag. I saw this after the fact. I saw the footage, and I wish I would have kept it. But they helicoptered in a tranquilized red stag and dropped the red stag off and threw snowballs at it to get yeah. it to move and then shot it. So that kind of thing made me just sick to my stomach. I actually resigned from that project after I saw that. And um, that was the dark side of the outdoor industry that we saw. That, I remember logging that footage. So anytime the camera guys came back, because I started from the very bottom of the 
totem pole, like we said, from midnight. Then I went to logging, which is looking at every single clip and putting a description on it and being very confused of what was going on here. I was like, what is going on? I remember that. And um, I also have to say they were in a different country. And I think these people were like, well, we have to get this host to shoot something. And I think they had three days. They weren't shooting anything. And finally, they brought in this. It was horrible. It was awful. But, you know. They did that more than once. Yeah. And not something like that. And this, I remember they let a pig out of a cage and pretended it was a wild boar hunt one time too. Mm-hmm. But with that organization, I mean, honestly, I haven't even heard of that. They haven't ever since I've worked on that show. I haven't even heard of them. I also feel that I think their focus was really on to the kill and the hunt. And I feel like in television, there's been a bit of a change in wanting it to be more about the authentic experience. Like, let's eat what we kill. Let's um, enjoy the outdoors. Like, I feel like there's been, um, in the outdoor television, there's been a change in um, what people crave to watch. And it's more of the authentic experience in the outdoors. Yeah, there's been a real positive paradigm shift. Um, I personally don't watch a lot of outdoor television myself. Um, (laughs) You know, having worked in that industry, like yourself... Um, you know, the analogy is, uh, it's kind of like working in a hot dog factory. Once you've seen how the product is created, you don't necessarily want to consume it. (laughs) Well, I have seen a lot of hunting and fishing shows. Me too. A lot of people like to change my music. Yeah, that's the one big thing, right? Like, yeah, the, I don't like the music, but how subjective is music? Like, <laughs> so everybody subjective. likes different types of music. So, because the producer or one of the executives doesn't like the music, doesn't mean that the audience doesn't like the music. He probably listened. He probably has a Little River Band, you know, all six discs in his Prius. <laughs> But now that doesn't mean everybody loves Little River Band, right? So, it is so true. Leave the damn music alone. I when I first started out, it used I used to be so sensitive about that, like because I mean every episode, no matter what, there'd be three songs that they would change, and you change it, you know, to what you like. LRB. Yeah, but Little I River mean, Band. But if you think about it, you like Beastie Boys, and I mean, I'm I'm. I like, I like a the- bunch of different stuff. I know, I do but, too. You know, I like country I try and to rap make the music more to like the feeling. Heavy metal. But yeah. oh man, I can never make anyone happy with my music. No, that's just. I'm sure people even listen to my podcast. That's like, a rookie did- move. Hey, all you producers out there, rookie move. Don't mention the music. <laughs> I like Keep my music. Keep your mouth shut until there's a consensus. <laughs> I like Unless my- it's glaringly obvious. Most of the time, you don't even notice the music, so. I like my music. I like your music too. But it's been really great. I still like the people I'm working with now. They are amazing people and genuine people. And um, yeah, I really enjoy the hosts that I'm working with. Oh, sure. No, those that you're with, with, those guys are great. Yeah, really. Actually, yeah, great, great people. But yeah, I just, I don't want to watch a whole. The other thing too is like a lot of people, my attention span is ruined. I know. And kids haven't helped it. So, like, I just can't sit down and watch a 25-minute episode of hunting, uh, like, or fishing or whatever, you know? I'll watch, like, a five-minute video if you got a cool five-minute video. I don't ever care to see a kill shot anymore. It just doesn't interest me. But, like, you know, I'll watch a cool fish 
eat or something if you got a five minute video or something. But I don't know that fly fishing film tour stuff this year was amazing. Yeah, you said there it was awesome. There were such I didn't good go. stories. I loved it. I, I honestly didn't watch one where I was like, oh, that one was not awesome every one of them had such good storytelling and really shot well i i think what i'm amazed about in the industry is that there's so many more creators and they're all really and they're really good they're so much really talent. good yeah, i mean there is. It's, it's, it used to be kind of it was like this club like secret yeah. club like oh outdoor tv is so complicated it costs a million dollars to make yeah. a series and now it's open to everybody that has a tiktok account yeah <laughs> so you see some amazing stuff and you see how creative people are and yeah it's it's really cool i like this kind of new age where i do too people just you know everyday folks just kind of come up with these cool videos and post these like little three minute clips and stuff and you see their creativity and yeah, yeah it's cool i dig it i totally dig it and you know another thing that we get asked a lot is how do we work together but we met each other at work and we've always worked together so our balance is always you know we've always found this really good balance of who takes what roles in what situation um especially you know when you say tv producer justin wrote the script for everything you wrote the voiceover which is kind of right Yep, and, and uh, episode description. So you do uh, the episode description for the podcast. You Even though I create the videos, I'm always having you reread the storyline. But I feel like our outdoor industry has bled into our own storytelling. For sure. And, and going out and, um, you know, you're also a writer. You've written for Bugle and um, a lot of other uh, magazines. Lots. Tons. Tons. I mean, a lot of fly fishing, backcountry, backcountry hunters, all English. the fly fishing magazine, or a lot of them. And, but yeah. one of, and I'll share this story. One of my favorite outdoor memory is when you and I had were together for our first year, and you decided to take me elk hunting. And first off, I had no clue what I was doing and I had no camo clothes. So we went to the local store here and they, at this time, this was oh, right. 15, 15 years ago. Yeah. Um, there was no, uh, there was women's camo. Women's, there women's camo. No, yeah, so I wore options. boys camo Yeah. and everything was a little bit too big. I think I couldn't find a shirt. So I was wearing one of your shirts and I was rolling it up and I thought this is great we're gonna have a romantic time going up the mountain he's gonna learn about me and we're gonna talk <laughs> to each other and the moment I get out of the car I think I slammed the door too hard and like shh, shh. <laughs> I was like oh he's like I was like oh sorry sorry I think I talked like you're like shh shh I was like oh he's like don't step on any twigs and I was like oh whoa I can't even talk to him and we were going up and it was really down timber everywhere. Like you had to haul yourself over logs, over branches. And you set me down and you had taught me how to cow call and I had a bugle. And so you had set me in uh, this corner and you said, I'm going to have you call for some cows. So I'm sitting there. I and, had the bugle. You yeah, had the cow. And I do a cow call and remember like how many head of it elk. was crazy i was in the middle you were of their in sleeping. the middle of the herd yeah they were sleeping i mean crept in there and they didn't smell you no bizarre. i just because i kind of went on my own you didn't even know i was like 
And then... No, but I don't think elk can smell you like they can smell me, I've come to understand. You're kind of a stinky fella, Sasquatch style. Maybe. But what was crazy is I just had this... And then, you know, obviously they got up and then they ran off. And you were doing a traditional bow, so it wasn't like you had a compound. You have to be in pretty close proximities to go shoot one, to shoot an elk. And I remember we were going on the trail and I just thought, oh, I looked to my left and there's a nice bull. But I was like, you just kept marching. And I just thought, this is what elk hunting was. You just kind of go through the woods. Pick the one you wanted. wanted. (laughs) And I was like, well, you know what? I'm just going to tap his shoulder and see if I can point out and see if you wanted that elk. And I remember I tapped you on the shoulder. I'm like, do you want to shoot that one? Or should we just keep walking up? (laughs) And I was like, oh my God. And I remember I took my shoes off and I tried to sneak down on my socks to get within range. And didn't work out but yeah yeah that was i hilarious. think i just sat there like just standing like okay well let's keep going and then the next year we it was uh what we call it the honeymoon yeah we got married that summer and that yeah. that fall we went back up in there yeah and we spy camped hunt. it yeah we went up spy camped and then um you know we were hunting hard and it was crazy. They sound like dinosaurs to this day. I it's that, that sound is like mm-hmm. has hit my soul. I like every, I crave it every fall. Right. But you know, you wanted to give up. Remember you're like, mm-hmm. ah, it's well, over. Remember I missed that bull. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, I couldn't believe it. Cause like, I never just flat out missed the target practicing in the yeah. back- backyard. And I shot over that elk's back at like 20 yards. Yeah. And uh, I was You're just bombed. so disheartened. Yeah. And the wind was awful. And like, yeah, I was, I was, I was given up and, and, and Lauren wasn't. And I said, come on, let's keep going. And sure enough, um, we are sitting there and you're actually practicing. You told me to practice my bugle. So we were just sitting on that stump eating peanut butter and jelly. Noon. Yeah. Eating yeah. a peanut butter jelly Hot. sandwich. Yeah. And I was just bugling like, I mean, it did not sound good at all. It's like, you know, my yeah. my third my third time going elk hunting. And, and the sure woods enough, lit up. And that elk gets up. There was more than one. Yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. There was several. There was, yeah, two or three bulls and a bunch of cows all around us. And, and I got scared and I just dipped down and you shot that elk. And remember, um, you we couldn't find the blood. Yeah. And I found it. Yep, you found the blood. You, you see blood way better than I do, too. Yeah, see red. Another, another uh, skill you have over me in yeah. the elk woods, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> but anyways, that's one of my favorite memories. But what's one of your favorite memories on the water, Justin? Well, I, I, does it have to be, like, happy? With, or I, can it be, like, the things I remember are usually the close calls. Like, let me tell you, just the other day... I was guiding these folks from Pennsylvania. They were a really nice group of people. They were out here with a, with a group. So we were kind of swapping uh, anglers in and out of our boats and fishing for several days in a row. And, you know, spring here, everyone comes for the big squala hatch. But the squala hatch is a farce. I mean, it's usually cold and crappy and the rivers are blown out or too low or too cold or there's ice. And, and it's just pretty rare to have a really good squala day and um and i haven't guided the squala hatch much in years because of that reason it's just really inconsistent fishing um 
And uh, anyway, that's how it had been. And we had some actually some pretty good some pretty good dry fly fishing given the conditions because our rivers are, have been they were super high. We had an early runoff event, and so these guys are powering through it. And I got these two guys who are really nice guys, and and I chose a section of river that I didn't think would there would be many people around and might fish a little better given the high water conditions and it's real braided and uh lots of down timber and everything so you're on the oars and we're in my drift boat and you know you're dodging stuff and trying to keep everybody alive and we're going down we come out of this braided stretch and we get into a pretty decent rapid and I'm noticing that the boat's super hard to handle and I think the guy in the back might just be turning his legs around and leaning over to one side or the other and listing the boat and so I turn around to go ask him to, to straighten up while we're kind of going through this rapid and I just see this water pouring into the boat and he had spun his feet around the back of the boat which is a no-no but not everybody knows that and he kicked the boat plug out and the boat was sinking and so I was pulling over to the left and water was coming over the gunwale and the boat was sinking right as I pulled I was able to pull it over and I mean, it was a matter of seconds before the boat completely sunk. And I, I was able to, to pull it over and I bailed 100 gallons at least out because I had a, I have a, a five gallon bucket in my boat and um, I dumped it, uh, uh, yeah, it was, it was 40, yeah, no, 20, 20, uh, 20 some bucket loads that I pumped out of the boat, both by hand and then with a sump pump. Oh, so it was a super close call. Not my favorite story, but a memorable one. Well, I mean, sometimes the ones that, you know, like we always say, when we have our guests on, some of our favorite stories, some of them are the ones um, that has nothing to do with catching fish. That's right. But I think as we end our 100th episode, um, Justin and I just want to give a complete how much gratitude we have to our listeners our supporters our friends our family um just who continue to give us um who listen and honestly give us amazing feedback because i don't think we'd be doing 100 episodes if uh, people weren't listening so no thanks everybody (laughs) and here's to 100 more we got some exciting uh guests coming up and we're looking forward to the next two years and the next 100 episodes Go to thefebruaryroom.com where you can access a complete library of our podcast and read more about our guests, their fishing stories, and favorite fly patterns. We're always looking for exceptional fly fishing yarns, and if you have one to spin, shoot us an email at info at thefebruaryroom.com. The February Room is always free, but if you feel like throwing a nickel in the pond, we appreciate any additional listener support. For companies and individuals interested in sponsorship opportunities, please contact us for our media kit. Thanks for stopping by the February Room, and we'll see you down here next week.